On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we have a fantastic interview with the NFL Ironman himself, Joe Thomas. We talked to Joe about beer, the NFL and NFLPA negotiations going on right now, some college football, and what it's like for him knowing he's going to be in the NFL Hall of Fame. Before Joe's interview, we give you the biggest stories in local college football, Lincoln Riley's latest statements about the season, and OU and OSU players that are on the watch list for national awards. We give you a roundup of all the biggest national stories in college football, then we wet the beak with a fun line about the NBA bubble. We give you our winners and losers of the week and break down a unique opportunity for Oklahomans in keeping it local. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Oh, man, Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, July 16th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday night. Teddy, we have an absolute treat for the listeners. Joe Thomas is the man. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. It, it, it was, it, it may be my favorite interview we've done. Hey, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really cool and um, maybe the best humble brag of all time whenever he was talking about the, the uh, NFL Hall of Fame. And, yeah, when I'm talking to my other friends that are in the NFL Hall of Fame, it's like, who has a bunch of friends that are in the NFL it, Hall of Fame? And he, he's talking about The Rock and, like, getting to meet him. I'm yeah. just like, yeah, that's normal. That's, <laughs> that's normal. But, yeah, I really appreciate Joe. He was he's one of my favorite teammates when I was playing in the NFL, and he's just a – an awesome guy. So I, I hope you guys really enjoy that interview. Well, let's get right to it, right? Uh, we got a lot of local college football news, and that news is brought to you by Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer. Guys, stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing, and there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coupe Ale Works. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. It's made in Oklahoma. And it's absolutely delicious. I dare you to try the mango guava and say it's not incredible. Will and Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you and go follow them on social media at, at Will and Wiley. All right, let's get into the big local stuff, Ted. Lincoln Riley, he, he continues to say all the right things, in my opinion. And, you know, his latest quotes about the season – or, I mean, they're just honest. And this is the one that really stood out to me. Quote, the health and safety is the most important thing, and that's the determining factor. If we can't do it, we can't do it. But if we can, college football is so important to these communities, the universities, these athletes, not just football athletes, but college football affects every athlete on every campus. It's a big, big deal. 
it's not more important than health, but if we can get it to a safe place, we've got to find a way to get it done whenever and however. Ted, I, I think that sums up a lot of what we've been saying for weeks now, but it, it seems like Lincoln Riley has really taken a leadership role, not just for the University of Oklahoma, clearly he's done that, but for a lot of college football coaches in general, I mean, he's one of the guys, he, he's one of the few guys coming out and he's been saying this type of stuff for months, it seems like. This is why I would suck as a football coach, okay? <laughs> because Lincoln has been incredibly patient, um, you know, just kind of waiting, waiting on guidance, uh, listening to people at the university as to, as to how they've got to uh, proceed if they want to bring players back to start working out or how what this is what training camp is going to have to look like. And if I were in this position at some point, I would just like slam my hands down on the table and like, I would be so, uh, I, I just. We need football. Yes. And he's been, he's been so calm. He's collected in every interview. Um, every statement he says is just perfect and clean. And like I said, he has incredible patience with the process and Honestly, it's a process that really no one even knows. And that's what makes it more difficult than anything. As a head football coach, you got players that want to know what's happening. You got coaches on your staff that want to know what happened. You, you got recruits. You've got um, your equipment managers, your trainers, your strength and conditioning. Everyone wants to know what the plan is, and he can't tell them anything. So he's, he's just – he's handled it about as good as you can. And, you know, he's right. Um, if we can do it, we can. If we can't, we can't. And if we can, we'll do it in a way that is reasonable, that makes sense, that is uh, safe and everyone is comfortable with, not just guys on the football team or himself, but people outside of the program as well. Because let's be honest, right now, a, a big part of the discussion is public opinion, you know, and, and that's right. what's kind of holding a lot of things back with these universities is um, you can't just go out there and say, ah, the players will be fine. We're going to go ahead and go because that would just, you know, bring all the wolves out to, to jump all over college football. So no, nope, he's, he's handled it perfectly. Yeah. And I think Lincoln Riley, he, he was already well-respected for what his teams have done on the field, right? People respect him for the X's and O's as a play caller, as an offensive mind, right? He, he had a ton of respect in college football already amongst his peers for that stuff. But I really do think that he's earned a lot of respect, not just from the media, but also from other coaches. And it seems like some other coaches, especially at big programs, have started to follow his lead on this stuff. And it's just been, it's been really impressive. And I think a lot of OU fans would agree with me that you know, I've, I've been proud that Lincoln Riley's the head football coach at the University of Oklahoma with the way that he's handled all this. I, I really have been impressed. Now, Teddy, it is – it's the middle of July. So that means it is officially watch list season, baby. Yes. The most important time of the year, some would say. Some would say. And since it is watch list season, of course, we're going to look at the local guys that are on the national award watch lists – that have come out up to this point. So first, 
Let's look at the RBs. Kennedy Brooks from Oklahoma, Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, both on the Doak Walker watch list. Now, of course, Chuba was a finalist last year. Some people think he should have won last year. I am one of those people. But it's still pretty damn cool that both of the starting running backs here in the state are both on this list. And both of these guys, I, I don't know how realistic with how much OU spreads the football around offensively, how realistic it is for Kennedy Brooks to end up as your Doak Walker award winner. But certainly Chuba Hubbard, he, he's got to be, what, the leader maybe with Travis Etienne when you think about it? Uh, yeah, probably so. Um, you know, with Kennedy Brooks, it's interesting because – Lincoln Riley, pretty much his entire tenure here at Oklahoma, he's been at least a two running back guy. Um, we saw it with Samaje and Joe Mixon. We've seen it with Kennedy Brooks and uh, Trey Sermon. But last year, it that really changed. It turned into the Kennedy Brooks show. Now, it was also a little bit different because Jalen Hurts had a ton of carries too. Jalen Hurts was uh, number two in carries in the Big 12. Um, so. If, if it's like last year and Kennedy Brooks kind of turns into the featured back, uh, maybe for an entire season, I think he'd have a chance of, you know, uh, making it pretty far being on this list. But my, my honest opinion is going to be that Lincoln Riley is going to do kind of what he's always done and have at least a two running back system where guys really share the, share the football. It's worked great because, third, fourth quarter, especially whenever you've got the lead, like Oklahoma does a lot, you've got a fresh running back that's stepping in that could start anywhere in the conference, but on the day, he's got like three carries up to that point, and he's going to be totally fresh when you need him the most. Yeah, and we don't know what the season's going to look like, and we don't know what that means for Ramondre Stevenson, that suspension, remember, you know, from the Peach Bowl. So will it be TJ Pledgers, the second running back? Will it be, you know, local guy Marcus Major that'll be the second back? But they're going to lean on Kennedy Brooks a lot. And, of course, Oklahoma State's going to lean a ton on Chuba Hubbard after what he did last year. And the only question mark for me for Hubbard having a big year is what's that offensive line for Oklahoma State going to look like? They have to – replace several guys you know had a guy have to medically retire so it's going to be interesting to see there's no doubt that Chuba Hubbard's got weapons around him obviously everyone looks at Tylen Wallace but don't be surprised when Braden Johnson has a big time year I mean that guy I was really impressed with him at times last year. And if you've got guys like Tylen Wallace and Braden Johnson that can stretch the field. Stoner's back too, right? Stoner's back. Yeah, Stoner's yeah. back operating in the slot. You know, Jelani Woods, a tight end. So Oklahoma State's got weapons, man. But I, I just don't know how much to trust their O-line, especially since there was no spring ball. So I haven't seen a, a damn snap of what they're going to look like up front. Uh, Ted, moving to the defensive side of the ball real quick. Ronnie Perkins. And Colby Harvell Peel are on the Bednarik Award watch list. Now, the Bednarik Award goes to the best defense player in college football. Teddy, do you have any knowledge of this award at all? Any familiarity at all? What's, what's it called again? It sounds. The, I believe the Bednarik, Bednarik, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. Okay, yeah. Now, yo, that rings a bell, definitely. Um, I, I think both of these players are outstanding, and honestly, 
Oh, for anyone confused, Teddy won the Ben and Eric award. That's why it's a joke. <laughs> so if you were confused, yeah, Teddy won that award. Um, I think both these guys are fantastic players. Now, obviously, Ronnie Perkins, um, I know he's on the watch list, but going to be very difficult to make it very deep into this thing uh, with a looming suspension. But um, Fact. Peel, fantastic. Um, I know a- you were a big, big fan. When we were heading into that Bedlam game last year, I know that you were – I mean, you were raving about that guy. No, he's he's really good. He's uh, he's fantastic. You know, there's a bunch of really good individual defensive players in the Big 12 this year. Now, I'm not going to sit here and try and act like the Big 12 is going to be some juggernaut of a conference on the defensive side of the football. But um, I think that Ronnie Perkins has a chance to be the premier player in this league and has a, a chance to be a – very high type of draft pick guy. I think Harvell Peel is outstanding. I think Eisworth at Iowa State is absolutely as good as they come. Um, when his shoulders a, are functioning properly. Right. TCU's got a couple of dudes now. Um, if you saw the, the transfer that they got from LSU, uh, former, what, four or five-star linebacker is going to be there at TCU now. Yeah, and so. you like the Wallow kid. And, yeah, and of course, really the safety, uh, the Maureen Kiggs projected to be some people think he's going to be a first round guy so yeah you're right when you look at the individual talent there's no doubt mm-hmm. I like I like Rose at Iowa State too Iowa State's got three or four guys that could start almost any place in the country aside from maybe like your Alabamas or Ohio State's like they've got some dudes Mike Rose at backer is really good uh, like I said Eisworth and what's the other guy is it white um uh, I think maybe Leonard White is his name. He's really good. Their defensive backfield is outstanding. Yeah. Um, now, one of the reasons that it, it may be difficult to play top-notch team defense in the Big 12 this season is because half of the quarterbacks are on the Davey O'Brien watch list. I mean, half. You, you've got five of the ten quarterbacks. That includes Spencer Sanders, now, we're all expecting Spencer Sanders to take a big step this year. He needs to take care of the football, clearly. Uh, you know, that was his big issue last year. Seems like he's fine coming off the thumb surgery. We talked about all the weapons he has around him. So, we're expecting big things from him. Now, the interesting thing about the Davey O'Brien watch list for the Big 12 QBs is there's five of them on there. There's no Oklahoma quarterback. And, and I feel like that's a little misguided, in my opinion. Ted, shouldn't they just put like a placeholder somewhere that says whoever Lincoln Riley names as his starter and just they can fill it in later. I understand they'll add it later, but whether it's Rattler, like what we're anticipating, or Mordecai, we know he's going to put up huge numbers, right? It's a Lincoln Riley offense, there's no doubt. So that means that six of the 10 quarterbacks in this league are going to be on this watch list and no surprise that's the most in the country yeah that's one of the frustrating things for me is I think that the big 12 as far as a total conference is going to be a lot better this year than they've been in recent years Um, you know for a bunch of different reasons both offensively defensively um, some of the coaches that we have in, in the conference right now I think that there's a chance the conference is is really deep. Now, it's still going to be top-heavy with Oklahoma. I still think Oklahoma is by far and away the best team in the conference. But 
the middle tier of teams, I think, all have a chance to be pretty decent. And since we're not playing the non-conference games, that Oklahoma loses the benefit of the Big 12 Conference going out and showing their worth. Um, Iowa and Iowa State playing. I think Iowa State probably beats a, a pretty good Iowa uh, team this year. And there's there's several other games where you feel like the Big 12 could show pretty well. Well, if they don't get that opportunity and you just play a conference-only schedule, at the end of the year we're talking about college football playoff, you know how it goes. Oklahoma will get no credit for going through the Big 12. Yeah, and you know, we have to be honest about that. They They haven't done themselves any favors with their performances in the college football playoff the last couple of years. That's just the truth. I know it's supposed to just be the current season. You're not supposed to look at the past, but we know how human nature works. The people on that committee that are going to select those four teams, I mean, they know what happened the last couple of times Oklahoma's gone to the playoffs. So we'll see, but I, I am excited. We'll, we'll see what the season look like. looks like. I'm still confident that some sort of season happens, but it, I want it to happen just because it seems like the Big 12 is going to be a lot of fun to watch this year, Ted. Uh, come on, just let it happen, man. No, I agree. Let me ask you this before we move on from the Davey O'Brien and the quarterbacks in this conference. Who do you think leads the league in passing? Last year it was Brock Purdy, like 38, 3,900 yards. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to throw – I don't think it's much of a curveball, but uh, I am a big Allen Bowman guy. I really am. I think that that offense under David Yost, uh, I went back and looked at their jump between year one and year two when Matt Wells and David Yost were at Utah State. Big offensive increase. And I've talked to David Yost a couple times this offseason. He feels really good about where they are from his players knowing the offense. He feels good about the weapons. And if Bowman can stay healthy, which has been the issue, right, that's been his issue, I think he'll lead the conference in passing. Uh, I do. I think they'll throw it all over the place, Ted. So if he I can agree. stay upright, if they can protect him, I, I'd put money on Alan Bowman to lead yep. the league. I agree and, with that. Plus, uh, TJ Vasher, six foot six wide receivers back. Doesn't, uh, doesn't hurt. As well. doesn't, hurt. doesn't hurt. Now, we do not know the seating situation right now for Oklahoma, but Oklahoma State sent a letter to season ticket holders this week. They are trying to replace the Oregon State game. They got canceled once the Pac-12 went conference only. Now, this letter says that season ticket holders won't pay for games that don't happen, which, what duh, we- uh, <laughs> duh, thanks for the clarification. But the letter also says that if, they're, if they have to limit seating capacity, fans will be able to renew their current seat locations for next season. But – the way that this thing reads, Ted, it's kind of one of the layman theories of, hey, we're going to plan to have this thing full until someone tells us we can't. That's kind of how I interpreted it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the way it's going. And I've started to see a couple of different things kind of leak out. I think Michigan maybe had um, their, their plan out as well to where it's um, – if it's limited, the tickets are only going to be – available like you won't have your season ticket seats but you only season ticket holders and students will be available to buy the yeah tickets the, that are on sale. yeah per and i think they're going to do it per game right it's mm-hmm. uh, something like that so i read that and i was like whoo now let's not forget michigan's 
president is, I believe he's an epidemiologist by trade. Mm -hmm. So eh, that may factor in a little bit, but yeah, when I saw a big program like Michigan putting that out there, I was like, Ooh, boy, this is, uh, this is going to look interesting this year. Uh, one more piece of local news, big 12 media days are getting postponed to August 3rd. And I was going to break the news, Teddy. I had the tweet ready to go. And then I don't know what happened to Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Joe Biden and all these people. Their accounts got hacked by some Bitcoin thing. And I tried to fire off my tweet a couple of minutes before the Big 12 announced it officially because I, ha I was privy to some information and it wouldn't go. And I was like, wait, wait, I was, this was my moment. This was my breaking news moment. I was going to be the guy, I was going to get so many retweets, Ted. And then, uh, I hate what hackers, is that the proper term? I don't know what yeah. they were doing, but the blue check marks, we were, uh, we were shut out for a while. Well, I'm telling you, that's why you've got to avoid the blue check mark like myself yeah. and go rogue, be a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that I was like well maybe I should have Teddy tweet it and by that point it was too late and like <laughs> Bob Prisbillo and like Chip Brown from those you know the recruiting sites that already tweeted and I was like well unbelievable well, this is unbelievable I, it was it was my moment to shine and I hate your luck I mean the yeah, one time one time I I, I was gonna be so cool people are gonna think I was so cool I'm totally confident Gabe that you're gonna have more breaking news in the future. And next time, it's going to be even bigger than the delayed that, Big 12 meeting. Dude, see, this is why we do this together, because you make me feel better. You make me feel good about myself, Teddy Lehman. Thank you. Thank, right. thank you. Now, let's move on to our National College football news. And we're going to do this a little differently, because our interview with Joe Thomas went really long, because, like, like I said, he's the best guy ever. So we just didn't let him leave you know full disclosure he was like what is this gonna be like 30 minutes i was like once totally. you got him on camera he's not gonna be rude you know yeah, so yeah he's, he's too nice of a guy I, and i knew that i knew that so let, we're gonna go with a national college football news roundup style so ted i'm just gonna read some headlines and if you got something to say about it just jump in sound All good right. sounds good all right here we go uh up first sec commissioner greg sankey said they will make a decision about the season in late July. Well, it's a good thing because uh, it's mid-July right now, and late <laughs> July is about seven days away. Do, so. do, don't you think he could have said, like, two weeks? Right? <laughs> right. We're going to do it late July. It sounds like when he says we're going to do it late July, it makes you feel like, oh, it's the middle of May. We've got all the time in the world. Uh, no, it's July 15th right now. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's coming, though. It's coming. Patience. Uh, okay, next, JT Daniels. Got granted a waiver to be immediately eligible at Georgia, creating a fun quarterback competition between him and Jamie Newman, the transfer from Wake Forest. That's a good problem to have if you're Kirby Smart. No, there's no doubt. I uh, heard a lot of good things about Jamie Newman. I haven't seen a whole lot of, of him play, uh, but he, you know, obviously whenever you play at, at, at a place like Wake Forest, it's going to be difficult whenever you're outmatched every time you step on the field, but he still had some really good games. JT Daniels is interesting there at Georgia. Why he transferred there, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but wants to get on the field. It's going to be a good quarterback competition. I just hope for his sake that JT Daniels shaved that horrible mustache before oh, he walked into that whoa, Georgia whoa, whoa, locker room. Whoa. That was an elite headshot. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen it, give it a Google. 
JT's JT Daniels, Georgia. He looks like oh, a guy no. that would play quarterback at Georgia. I haven't seen it. Are you telling me he kept the oh he kept like a Fu Manchu or something? Oh, it's it is luscious, Ted. You're <laughs> you're, you're gonna want to see that. Uh, he I can't wait. He he looks great. Now next one. Uh, remember when Ohio State paused workouts? Well, guess what, guys? They are back working out. So that's good. I mean, it was it was kind of alarming when a big program like Ohio State halted their voluntary workouts, and they're up and running again. And it it was only like a week, so we'll take all the positives we can get, right, Ted? Yeah, it's it's interesting that they're back. They're back pretty quickly. Um, I don't know if it, it, just to let something clear out. They had a, a a bunch of guys come through, but it's weird the amount of time that they paused and then got it back going is interesting, but. Uh, let's be honest, in the grand, grand scheme of things, I don't care. As long as they're uh, ready to play football whenever camp starts, that's really all that matters. And quite frankly, I'd like to see Ohio State pause workouts all the way until August. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be nice. Give OU a better chance to go to win a game in the college football playoff. Just saying. Um, up next, a lot of people have asked why colleges don't push the season to the spring. Like, what's the big deal? Well, Iowa State's athletic director, Jamie Pollard, explained why exactly in a letter. Uh, first and foremost, Pollard feels like they can make it work from a health and safety perspective for athletes and even fans there at Jack Trice Stadium in Ames. Iowa State players came back in early June, and they've only had three positive tests, which is pretty damn impressive. Now, the letter is eye-opening from a financial aspect. And basically, if they don't play sports in the fall, Iowa State would have approximately $40 million in unfunded expenses in the next six months. And it turns out they can't incur debt for those operating expenses, which was something that I think a lot of people, including myself, did not know. I think a lot of us were like, ah, just take out a loan like the rest of us. Uh, turns out can't do that. So I mean, what does that mean? Just massive default, I guess. Yeah, right? and and that goes that forty million of unfunded expenses that goes on top of the estimated seventy three million of lost revenue and costs they'll incur between roughly March when the COVID nineteen stuff started and this August. So I thought Jamie Pollard did an incredible job of saying, "Listen, the health and safety." is the most important, but let me show you why. And he lays it out, fixed costs, variable costs. If you haven't seen it, go look at it. And he paints a very clear picture of, this is why we need football in the fall. And I, I love the transparency, Ted. No, I do too. And I, I think that a lot of the folks that were kind of on the fence about, well, I don't think they should play. I just don't know if it's going to be safe. Um, what this Iowa State letter looks like, if they don't play football this fall, it looks like total default and total cancellation of Iowa State's sporting programs. That's what You're fire like. everyone. I mean, that's basically in, in, in the letter, he basically said, yeah, he, I think he phrases it a little better than that, but he talks about eliminations, layoffs. Like he used some softer words for, yeah, we're going to have to fire everyone's ass basically, yeah. or for, furlough them uh, at, at best, right? 
furlough them and probably an, a total elimination of any non-revenue producing sports. I mean, that's, that's not good. It's not good. And that's just, that's kind of, and here's the thing that you got to think, you know, this is Iowa state. Iowa yeah, state. I mean, it's a power five program. It's a power five program, but it's not anywhere near the size of like Oklahoma. Think right. about like Oklahoma makes more money. But it also costs a whole hell of a lot more money to run all of their programs. I mean, it's a good point. There's, there's a ton of maintenance costs. They have huge, uh, like their recruiting budget and their their staffs are just so much bigger. And you and we always talk about it for Oklahoma, right? Hey, they're self sufficient. The athletic department they don't get any you know state funding. They don't get money from the university. It's private donations. You know, it's tickets. It's all that stuff. Iowa State's the exact same way. They don't get any university money. They don't get that state money. It's donations, ticket sales, all of those things. And, yeah, I read that letter from Jamie Pollard, and I was like, ooh, boy. Okay, yeah, it makes a little more sense why some people really want this getting played in the fall. And here's the other thing. And just because we play football in the fall – doesn't mean that they're going to cover these expenses. Right. Especially if they're at 50% capacity or, you know what I'm saying? So I I still think that it's, there are rough days ahead, no matter what. Yeah. Oh, this sucks. Coronavirus, the worst. Okay. uh, Up next on the roundup, Texas is making changes that the student athletes, including football players help implement. We talked about this a couple weeks ago and, Texas is going to use athletic revenue to make the student body and faculty more diverse and keep it more diverse. They're changing the names of some of those buildings. Uh, they are building a statue of Julius Whitter, Whittier excuse me, outside of DKR, and they are renaming the field after Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams. The Eyes of Texas, the song, will remain in place, just as we predicted, Ted, but they're going to do some educational stuff around it. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool because this was led by student athletes. Uh, The football players were very outspoken. And ain't it crazy how quickly things can change, Ted? It it is. Um, I was, I guess, not shocked, but I was always really curious about the song and what was going to happen with it. Um, So it's going to remain in place, but that doesn't mean that the student body or the athletes are going to stand at attention and sing it. And remember what the players said early on, like they don't want to be forced to sing it. If it either goes away or we're not going to sing it. So just because it remains, you can't march guys out there and force them to sing some song that they don't agree with. So I'll be interested to see how that actually plays out. I would assume guys will just go to the locker room or what I think is going to happen there's going to be guys that take a knee when they sing it. Uh, I think that there's going to be – I don't know if that you call that a protest or what, but I, I, think, I, I think that's going to happen. Uh, one last piece on the roundup. The president called Nick Saban Lou Saban. It wasn't that big of a deal, but it was absolutely hilarious for every college football fan. We, got a, we all got a good chuckle out of it, right? It doesn't uh, matter where you lean politically. That was funny. It's it's hilarious, and I was like, 
how where does Lou say where does it like it has to come from somewhere like that that doesn't just come from nowhere and someone uh suggested that maybe because you remember Lou Holtz had said uh quite a few things here this week and he had um quite the quote out there that maybe it was a confusion between Lou Holtz and Nick Saban but I just you know if Nick you do not mistake Nick for Lou so I don't know how, how that now, happens. Now, Lou, I guess Lou, and I'm not going to pretend I, I know a lot about Lou Saban's coaching career, but he was a coach. I'm pretty sure he died a long time ago, but it was shout hilarious. Lou, yeah, shout out to Lou. Legend, clearly. So, and that was my other theory is that, you know, someone, when they're putting his notes together or whatever, typed in – like the wrong name for Coach Saban and Lou somehow. Just like, Lou Saban came just like Saban college football coach. Or right. I don't know. I don't I mean, know. It's I, Nick Saban. How do you? I, I don't know. But do you think Nick Saban heard that and was like, "Hmm, I'll remember that." <laughs> you know? Oh, what, Nick, uh, hold a grudge? No way. No, no way. <laughs> All right, Ted. Let Let's get to this Joe Thomas interview. It is absolutely fantastic. Not that often do you get to hear from one of the best football players of all time. And this interview is brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools look to reopen in the fall, parents want to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children. There's no better place for that than Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one iPad setting makes McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked. In addition to athletic programs and clubs, Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. All right, here's Joe Thomas. It is our absolute pleasure to be joined by one of the best offensive linemen of all time, undoubtedly a future NFL Hall of Famer. You can catch him on the NFL Network and on Twitter at at JoeThomas73. The NFL's Iron Man is in the house. What's up, man? Oh, what's up? Thanks for that intro. Uh, very happy and excited to be here. Well, of course. I mean, what else would you be doing? Well, that goes without saying, so I shouldn't have been <laughs> said, of course, is what you should have said, but... No, it should be great. It's uh, it's always good catching up with you, you fellas. Now, with everything that's going on right now, a lot of negative news. And I was like, who can I text that will make me happy and make me feel better about everything? And you were the first human being that I thought about. And I was like, well, Joe, I was like, Joe, will make this all better. So, where I wanted to start this was, dude, you've been tweeting about beer like a lot well is it everything is okay i mean <laughs> i don't mean it to sound like beer has been my uh savior during this crazy covid lockdown stuff but i'm not gonna lie in the summer when you've had a tough day and you haven't really seen a lot of humanity uh and you're reminded that there's still no sports going on and there might not be sports in the future a cold beer at the end of the day kind of tastes pretty good Plus, you're a Wisconsin guy, too. I mean, that kind of comes with the territory, right? That's how you fit in. It does. It does. It's a big part, part of the culture up here, beer and cheese in Wisconsin. And uh, we got tons of great microbrews in the area. There's a lot of good 
breweries in the Ohio area where I lived when I was playing with the Browns. And so uh, I feel like it's just a, a fabric of the community up here. It's just enjoy different beers every single night of the summer. It's just, it's just part of who we are when you grow up in Wisconsin. As God intended. Now, That's right. Before we move on to the football stuff, let's get them. Let, let's get the top three favorite beers right now. That way people listening to this, they can go ahead, they can order them, they can buy them online, they can get them shipped to their house. What are your top okay. three currently? currently? Okay. So I kind of throw a bush light out there. It's not exactly something <laughs> that uh, people have never heard of, but it's what I drink the most of because, uh, and Gabe, I know you're kind of a keto guy like I am. I, I love drinking beer. I don't always love the way it makes me feel the next day. But I found that Bushlight is like that refreshing. I'm still drinking beer. I can drink several of them without being feeling like I'm, I've turned into a blimp that night. And then the next day, I don't feel all that shitty as I did. Maybe if I would drink like 12 IPAs or like 10 <laughs> stouts or something like that. So. That's sort of like the goes without saying beer. Um, so I'll just throw that out there because that's, that's like the default. Like, all right, hey, grab a beer, boom, Bush Light. I'll, I'll tell you, for me, that's how I got going was with Bush Light. It was the <laughs> first right. thing they offered in a 30-pack, and you that's could right. get a 30-pack for nine ninety nine, baby. How do you beat that? <laughs> now, it's tasty and cheap. So Teddy and I have gotten really into the seltzers, the hard seltzers. We actually were, were sponsored by this local one called Will and Wiley. And, oh. dude, I've been drinking them like they're water. Have you tried any of those? Mm. The only hard seltzers I've tried just were like vodka sodas, which I like vodka soda. That's kind of what I drink if I'm, you know, out and about looking for a buzz uh, quickly. But if I'm just like sitting there relaxing outside, I usually reach for a beer. That's not to say I don't like hard seltzers because I'm kind of new to them. And like I said, the only time I've really enjoyed a lot of hard seltzers is just, hey, why don't you try this? And I drank one. I'm like, that's good, but it hasn't changed my life. But maybe I'm not trying the right one. Here's your opportunity to convert me. We, we definitely can. I'll definitely send you some. I know where you live. I love so. it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's scary, by the way. But... Or go ahead. Sorry. If you no, got I was just going to say, so Bushlight is sort of like your, uh, goes without saying beer, but I'll give you three that I really like right now. Um, when I, when I'm out at my farm, like after a nice hard day, sweaty day, fire up the grill, going to throw some steaks on there. I love this IPA called snake hollow IPA. It's brewed by Potosi brewing in Wisconsin, which their claim to fame is it's like the oldest brewery in America. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they say. And their beer is good. So that's probably my favorite IPA right now. Um, I'm also kind of a weird uh, weirdo about sour beers. Like some sour beers I can't stand because they're just way too fruity and too sugary and I hate them. But some sour beers, when you find the right one, they're amazing and they like change your life. So one sour beer that I really love right now is Sour Monkey. It's by Victory Brewing Company. I don't even know where Victory Brewing Company is based out of. Maybe it's a Colorado brewery or something. I'm not sure. But um, Victory Brewing Sour Monkey, that would definitely be on the list. And, of course, Joe Thomas 73 Kolsch, Great Lakes Brewing. Yeah. They make my beer. We're getting ready to start brewing that for uh, 2020 here pretty soon, so it's ready for the football season. So that was that's like your other default, goes without saying. But I'll give you a top five then, I guess, because you asked for three and I'm almost Keep it rolling, baby. Because I love beer. Uh, my fifth favorite 
because it gives a little variety, is a, a, a left uh, milk stout, the nitro milk stout. It's like left brewing company. I may be missing slightly on the exact name. Uh, left-handed milk stout. Have you guys heard of that one? It's really I, good. If you I've like seen, a heavy, yeah, like, chocolatey, milky, dark stout, it's really a, a very nice and tasty beer. Does it just have a left hand? Yeah, it's just got like yeah, left Yeah, I've had that before. Yeah, it's good. I, so I, I do kind of like that chocolatey, coffee-flavored, heavy beer, like stout beer. I love a good Guinness if you can get one like on tap, like a proper way. Um, but I guess the moral of the story is I just love variety of beers and really everything. Do they have Oberon where you are? Because whenever I do. played for the the Lions, they had it all over Michigan. I can't find mm-hmm. it down here, but oh. I loved Oberon. That was yeah, cool. Oberon is is very good. You can get it all over the Midwest. You know, from when I was in Cleveland, Ohio, and apparently in Detroit, they they love Oberons as well. So I, I haven't drank in one in a while, just because there's so many freaking microbrews out there. And, I love trying new ones. My brother-in-law is a huge beer nerd. He's got like a memo pad in his phone with all the beers that he's drank and like what he liked An about it. An approved list. Yes. So I don't go that far. I just kind of like drinking them. And, uh, what A fun COVID thing that we've been doing, you know, we've got my sister and brother-in-law who we've been seeing at a social distance space, but they still come over. Um, he'll bring over like six beers and then I'll have six beers and everyone has their own glass we all like try a third of a beer so we can kind of do like a little beer tasting and get introduced to different styles and different beers. It's kind of fun. And then we finished the night with a 30 of Bush left. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Some things never change, I suppose. (laughs) Okay. Before we talk about football now, are you trying to buy the New York Mets? I I mean, so I'm reading that article about a rod and JLo and then I get, you know, NFL or NFL future Hall of Famer, Joe Thomas. I was like, wait, what? He's trying to buy a baseball team? I'm just trying to get into your circle of pro <laughs> sports ownership, Gabe. That's just always been my dream. Uh, no, it's, it's actually, it was interesting how the whole thing kind of came together. Very last minute. It's not a done deal. And we're still kind of on a little bit of a confidentiality talking about the deal, but uh, all I will say is I'm trying to get into the Gabe Eichard high air circles of high society as a pro athlete, uh, pro sports owner. Uh, so we'll, we'll see someday. Hopefully we can come on here and, and talk a little bit more about it, but uh, definitely some exciting times in the Thomas household. How do you feel about the Mets though? I mean, dude, uh, doesn't matter as long he, as you he get loves them if he ends up owning <laughs> part of them have been the biggest Mets fan for at least two weeks like, let me tell you, I've been diehard uh, no it, it's it, it's funny I'm not I'm admittedly not even a huge baseball fan like love football I spend the majority of my free time enjoying college and pro football and all the other sports I'm just kind of like a sports fan so I just pay attention when it's convenient almost I grew up in Milwaukee, I grew up a Brewers fan, moved to Cleveland, was an Indians fan, but never was like diehard enough to watch every game. Um, and so it'll certainly be interesting if something happens on, on that front. But uh, definitely New York is, is not a bad place to either live or work or play or own a pro sports team. So any of those things I'm on board with. If, if there's one thing I know about you from being teammates, if you end up, owning part of the Mets 
you're going to become the biggest baseball nerd ever. Oh, you're going to be studying the analytics, <laughs> the biomechanics, all that no stuff. Question. It's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, no question. Uh, I have always loved the nerdiness of sport, like breaking it down, peeling back the onion. Like, yeah, okay, I get that. But why? I want to know why. Like, why is that? And Mitchell Schwartz was great when I played with him because he was a big baseball fan. He grew up a San Francisco Giants fan. He was a big baseball nerd. And he was really big into the analytics side of baseball, you know, the money ball stuff. And me being a casual fan, I was like, oh, home runs and strikeouts. Like, that's what baseball is, right? But he helped me understand a little bit of, like, why baseball is so interesting from a nerd standpoint because of the win over replacement percentage and all these other stats that they can look at where you can build a team basically using, like, the guys that are overlooked. It's almost like the Bill Belichick method in baseball, but it had more numbers behind it. Like, you're basically – going and finding guys that have been overlooked and putting them into your system so you can get them cheaper. But so you, you end up having 53 guys that you're paying less than the value you're actually getting out of them towards your goal, which is winning. Uh, and so I definitely, things happen. I would definitely be excited of like diving into the weeds and like, especially with A-Rod being sort of the leader, he's got like the baseball mind and he's really good at explaining that. I would love to just pick his brain and find out every little detail about like, why does that happen? Sit next to him in a game. Like, tell me, why did they do that? Why does that make sense? Why is that a smart play? Like, why is that dumb? Tell me everything. If you bug him too much, he's going to be like, how'd he end up on this list of guys? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's your name again? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I need just a refresh of popcorn. Can you uh, please get back to your, your job? Hey, Joe, you mind if I buy you out? Uh, I'll just buy you out of this thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll take that hot dog back that you paid to be part of this group. All right, now let's talk about the NFL stuff. Clearly, with your role at NFL Network, you're as curious as the rest of us what's going to happen. So what do you think of these NFL and NFLPA negotiations going on right now, kind of surrounding the coronavirus, uh, starting up in training camp? In your mind, and you were always outspoken as a player, you're still outspoken and people still really value what you say because you're you. So what do you think about the circumstances right now for guys coming back for training camp? Well, it's interesting because we look at football and COVID and we think, oh, this should be pretty easy. Like we can do some testing. We can isolate them a little bit. And, you know, this shouldn't be a problem, but you're heading into such uncharted territories that there is like this tiny little bit of stuff that you know, and then the rest of everything in the world is stuff that you don't even know that you don't know because you've never gone down that path. I liken it to going into a Sunday game for us former NFL guys and not having that Saturday walkthrough ever. So like you go into the game and you think, okay, I practice my first down plays, my second down plays, my third down plays. But we never worked on the mechanics of, okay, after the kickoff, who runs out there? How do we start? Like, if you don't go through and have a dress rehearsal, there's all these things that pop up that you don't even think about that become issues that take time to, to overcome. And when you're dealing with two sides that a lot of times, like the players and the owners, are sort of uh, opposed or have at least different interests that are kind of competing from like a, hey, we want health and safety, but we also want to get paid to the owner side of we want to play football and we want to make money. Like sometimes they don't always go hand in hand. And so uh, 
they're, I think you're seeing with baseball and basketball, these issues that pop up, that it's not an easy answer. And it takes some negotiation. It takes some time to kind of work through it. And while we still have a little bit of time, as we get closer to the start of what was supposed to be the season, you do get nervous because there is already this mound of things that the players and the owners haven't been able to agree on. And they haven't even started the season and started dealing with stuff that pops up that they didn't even think about. And so I guess the bottom line is I think they'll agree to do something. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Maybe it's no preseason games. Maybe it's a short training camp. Maybe it's two weeks of training camp where they're in a bubble and then they start the season. And then for a little while, you're able to kind of maybe play against teams that have enough guys that aren't sick that you can keep playing. But my biggest, I firmly believe the season will start, but my biggest concern is I don't know if there's a clear path to finishing a season if they don't have an NBA type bubble, which when you're playing football where there's 50 guys plus at least 50 support staff that you're going to have contact with on a daily basis. I'm not positive what that looks like, if that's possible. Yeah. I mean, the bubble idea, it, I mean, as we're finding out in the NBA, even with the smaller amount of guys, I mean, there's, I, I think football players are a lot smarter as a group than uh, years past, but there's still a lot of dumb guys. And as, as you see the NBA guys breaking the bubble, I mean, the same thing would happen in the NFL. And it's it's interesting to see what's going to happen if there is an outbreak on a team. You know, a 53-man roster, you don't have a whole lot of leeway, you know, especially at certain positions to where you lose a couple of guys, someone tests positive on a Thursday or a Friday. I mean, you're out there, you may be, playing a guy that you got off the street two days later on a Sunday. I mean, yeah. there's, I, I mean, I, th I would at least see like the NBA and even major league baseball where they've upped the amount of reserves available. I mean, do you think they're going to end up instead of with a 53 man roster, like maybe a 60 or 65 man roster? Well, this gets into like all the questions that I was sort of like hinting at early on is like, all right, imagine this scenario. I was talking with Alex Mack, who's the center for the Falcons uh, about this just this week. He's like the treasurer for the NFLPA or something. I was just kind of just curious because I know the NFLPA has had all sorts of long meetings trying to figure this out. And I'm like, can you imagine this scenario where it's Friday and you guys have practiced all week that you're going to go to New Orleans and play the Saints? Well, Friday, Drew Brees tests positive for COVID, and so do seven guys in that team who are all starters. They're not going to let you guys play the Saints. Now, the team that you've practiced and installed all week against, you can't play. So what do you do? You either have a bye week, or now all of a sudden you're going and playing Tampa because they've got a healthy team, and Tom Brady hasn't got COVID yet. So you've practiced all week and we understand like because we've done it the amount of work and preparation not only from a player standpoint but from a coach's standpoint from a scout standpoint coming up with a game plan and breaking down film like the work that goes into it is all done by fr friday for the most part and to just go from like a friday thinking you're going to go to new orleans and play the saints to all of a sudden just going and playing tampa it would be a concept that has not been heard of ever in football because even in high school football you knew your opponent. They were a 4-3. I know roughly kind of the offense they run. We practice against those plays a little bit. And, like, every level you play at, it gets more detailed. And, obviously, the NFL is the top of the heap. But, like, that's what it's going to have to look like. Because, otherwise, I don't know how you get enough games if you're not just moving the schedule around as people test positive and people don't test positive. Because 
I would love to believe that nobody would test positive, but as we're seeing already with the NBA, like guys are testing positive, like especially in football, which is the most contact of all sports in the world, except for maybe rugby, but, and that's only because they don't have helmets on. But I would think like, as far as the transmission of coronavirus, there's no sport that's more advantageous to spreading it than football, because you've got linemen that are smashing their faces against each other, that are transmitting and trading spit and saliva and all those bodily fluids that were supposed to be masking up every single play for 69, 70 plays every single game. And then you've got people that are tackling each other. You're doing the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be doing with social distancing. Hey, but at least you can't train jerseys after the game, though. That'll help. But <laughs> the NFL has really stepped up in their leadership position and taken care of the coronavirus because they won't be getting it from somebody else's used jersey. Thank God. Speaking of which, you need to send me a signed jersey. I've been forgetting to ask you for one of those for forever. Just um, Duly noted right here. Thank you, send sir. Gabe toy jersey. Yeah, send, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have to. Yeah, send me a baby one. That's fine, dude. Gotta gotta have dude, the frame. Small. <laughs> the frame. Joe Thomas in in the new house, no doubt. Now, Joe, one of the big storylines from the NFL over the last couple of days is kind of how they would treat coronavirus. Now, it, a lot of players coming out and say that the NFL wants to treat it like a non-football injury, to where you know oh. you get put on the NFI and they don't have to pay you technically. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, I'm sure Joe's going to have a lot to say about that. <laughs> and, and then there's the whole issue of, you know, guys opting out for medical reasons, for maybe a medical condition that they have or their family member has, something like that. What do you think is, for lack of a better term, fair in all of this for the players? Uh, that's a really good question. And it brings me back to the things that you haven't even thought about yet. Like I, I haven't thought about what would happen if you get coronavirus. Cause I just assumed wrongfully. So apparently that uh, if you get coronavirus, you're going to get your contract. If you're playing football, like if you got really sick, let, let's say if you were playing two years ago and you just got really, really sick, like they would still pay you during the season. They're not going to just put you on NFI from what I understand. I've never heard of that. Um, but it, in my it, case, they would just cut me. They would just, just okay, cut Sorry. Right, I love it here every day. It's a different, <laughs> different ball game. But I just I can't even like, understand. Um, uh, to me, it sounds like a negotiating position. Right, staff staff that sounds pretty similar because you're getting it from probably playing football. Yeah. I mean, to me, it just sounds like, operating in poor faith in negotiations because clearly there's negotiation right now between the players and the owners of what's going to happen. And right now it seems that they're not operating in good faith to even bring that up. I mean, it makes no sense. Like if you're there playing football and you get coronavirus, they're not going to be able to prove that it didn't happen on the football field. So clearly they can't just put you on NFI and not pay you. I read it like three times. I was like, like I don't I understand that. Like, I, I don't like, even I believe you. Be, that's, fake, that's fake news. There's no I, way that's true. I swear. I was like, I have to be reading this incorrectly. And I read it again. And I was like, no, Gabe, you're an idiot. Read it again. And I was like, nope, that's what it says. I couldn't like, believe What's it, their dude. justification? Like, I, I wouldn't, if they're I was assholes. in the union, I wouldn't, even, their justification <laughs> I wouldn't even respond because like, 
and that's why negotiations take forever because you've got these lawyers on both sides that are making millions and millions of dollars and they like running the clock. Sorry, Gabe, to the family of lawyers that you can come okay. from. But uh, like, they're going to bring up anything that helps their bargaining and leveraging position, even if it's ridiculous. Like, hey, if you get coronavirus playing football, we're not going to pay you anymore until you're back out in the field. Uh, and so like, that's why it takes forever because you've got to get through all these little things before they admit right, we're wrong there. But uh, you got to give us something. We'll give you this, but you got to give us something. And then it just takes forever. And that's what makes me nervous as we creep towards the start of training camp. And we don't have like an ironclad deal right now that irons out all these possibilities. Well, and even if they do get it ironed out, they do get into training camp and, and start playing football games. Uh, it looks like, at least right now, that there's not going to be any fans in the stands. I mean, yeah. from your perspective, what is what is that like? I mean, there's some benefits for it being quiet, obviously, but there's also like it's – I mean, what gets you amped up to go play is that you're going to this huge event, right, where there's 80,000 people in the stands and everyone's pumped up and ready to go, and this is going to be more like you're going out to a scrimmage. So, I mean, how do you think guys are going to approach that and how is it going to be different? Yeah, I think that this will benefit offenses because it's quiet. You can communicate. It will benefit greatly positions that don't require you to get hyped. <laughs> Offensive linemen, quarterbacks, those guys that tend to rely on a lot of focus at their position. And for me, I would think it would be a great advantage because the last thing I wanted to see was a defensive end who was all jazzed up, who was pumping the crowd up, who was putting his fingers in the dirt and he had snot bubbles coming out of his nose because he wanted to kill somebody. No, I want the guy that's practically yawning and falling asleep over there because there's no fans in the stands, and he's used to having that energy and feeling that energy from the fans. Down like, and yeah. that's, that's right where I want. That's exactly the spot I'd like him because it'll be just like a practice and a scrimmage, and we'll block him for 65 or 67 plays, and pretty soon at the end of the game, he's going to be like, oh, I didn't even realize I was playing a football game. And you're like, yep, I did my job every time. Thank you very much. That was very nice of you. Uh, see you next time. So it would be definitely less exciting, but I played most of my career with a lot of losses. So I didn't have a lot of exciting football. And so maybe, you know, for me, it wouldn't be much deviation from the norm. I, I will say, and clearly did not have a career similar to Joe's, but one of my favorite memories, and I, I don't want to get too sentimental here, Joe, is <laughs> we won our only game that year and it was on christmas eve against the san diego chargers they were still san diego then mm -hmm. and in the locker room after the game i will never forget it joe just breaks down crying <laughs> like a little kid i mean he is sobbing and just gives this speech where like it, it means so much to me it was one of the coolest moments in my sports career where i was like damn that meant a lot to this guy and it it, it was just cool i just yeah. i don't know i don't know joe not to bring that up but no that's just something I'll, i've always remembered it's so funny when people ask me about like you know best memories or fondest memories from my nfl and i don't know if that's number one but it's definitely up in my, maybe my top five because people a lot of times don't realize the amount of work but emotion uh, that you put into this sport, into this game, each and every week, you put 
everything you have into getting that win. And when you don't get it and you fall short repeatedly, it wears on you so bad emotionally. Like it, it changes who you are as a person. And in that one little moment, that tiny little moment on Christmas Eve, it was a little cold. We're playing the snow, same go chargers, a little teeny weensy bit of snow to win with Jamie meter blocking a field goal from the San Diego chargers and to be able to get the only win of that season, it just, I broke down emotionally. And I, I can only remember one other game in my career that I was that emotional. Even the game where I tore my tricep, which was the last time I ever played in the NFL, I wasn't that emotional because I was more, much more at peace with it. Um, but the two times I was the most emotional was that win on Christmas Eve against San Diego, where we won one. That was in my last two years, we won one game. And that was it. So you can understand if you won one game in two years, you would really think that's a very special day. But the other time was um, we were playing, uh, it may have been that year or the year before, we were playing New England and we had started out like Ellen, whatever. And I was still convinced like the game plan is great. Tom Brady's got these weaknesses. Like the coaches, they did a great job. They had us thinking we were going to win. And we went in there and uh, actually they came to us and we got beat by like 40. I think we had like 50 yards of offense that I never forget. I got into the car with my wife on the way home and I held it together. I was all right. And I got in the car and I just started sobbing. She's crying. And I was looking out the window. I'm like, looking at her. are you okay? What's wrong? And, and I'm like, I, I'm not okay, but I don't know what's wrong. Like, I, I'm just sad. Like, I'm just an emotionally broken person right now. And she's like, okay, did, did you have a bad game? I'm like, well, no, I actually had a perfect game. I think I actually graded out at 100%. And, and, and that's how I'm crying. Oh, that like, was amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> Do you understand? Like, we got smoked. And I went and saw the team psychologist the next day, and I spent a couple of weeks with them just talking, you know. And, and, like, I actually was a broken person for a, a period of time because you put so much emotion into it. And it just falls short every time. It's so tough. That's why I feel... For Browns fans, I feel so much empathy for their situation. And I, I have to say they're the best fans on earth for continuing to support their team with so much venom and rapidity. Don't know if that's a word. But their rapidness is impressive with, in spite of all the failures that we've had as, as a team in the last two decades. Well, I, it's, I mean, that's, that's awesome to hear, though, because a lot of guys, you know, throw in the towel and, and find a reason to not, not – go all out or prepare like they need to every single week so it's tough to do that week in week out and not see the team results but um, what do you think about so obviously there's a scenario in which we don't play football this fall both NFL and college football um, maybe there's a spring season I don't know what that would mean for the NFL but like what do you think like just mentalities of of some of the players you know the NFL's not like NBA and Major League Baseball where a huge percentage of those players make a ton of money. I mean, out of a 53-man roster, you're probably talking about 75% of those guys are league minimum guys. So, uh, and to go, you know, the last paycheck would have been, what, um, late December of, of 19 and maybe have to go an entire calendar year without a, a paycheck. I mean, what's, what's the fallout if we don't play this fall? Boy, so many unknowns. It's hard to even talk about it because it's just so crazy even considering a spring football season. But also you consider like the alternative. I mean, if we're lucky, 
we play some games this year. We play all the games. If we're like a little less lucky, but still lucky, we could play football in the spring. But there's very real possibilities that there's no football for the whole year and who knows how long. And it's you're right. There is a mentality that it takes to get yourself ready for a football season. And I truly believe, because this is how I feel like, the further you're away from the game, the harder it is to get back into that mindset, which it takes a different mindset to play football, to put your, your body through the training that it takes just in the off season to get yourself ready. And then training camp is a whole different animal. I mean, you got six weeks of re- – I'm not going to say it's hell because that, that doesn't uh, pay respect and due to people that are really suffering. But as far as voluntary sporting events, six weeks of training camp is about as bad and brutal as it gets because you feel horrible. Your, your body hurts. Your brain is getting beaten in every day. The coaches are relentlessly tearing you apart and telling you how much you suck. And you're just dog-ass tired, and, you have, and you're totally removed and detached from society. Like, you, it just doesn't exist anymore because you don't have any time to communicate. Maybe you call your wife or your kids for 10 minutes at the end of the day at 10 o'clock when you get back to your hotel. But other than that, you just don't have any time from 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. And I think a lot of people that just work a regular job don't understand because my friends and family didn't understand when I was at training camp. I'm like, I can't call you back and just have an hour conversation in training camp. I just don't have the time. How was practice? I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. It's giving me nightmares thinking about it. Now, how worried are you about your Badgers? And I know mm. the, the Big Ten, they went and they came out and said, hey, we're going to go conference only. That seems like a last-ditch effort to be able to play in the fall, you know, give them the flexibility, maybe if they have to move some games around. I was really bummed that they had to cancel the game. They were supposed to play at Lambeau. Oh, that would have been really name. cool. Man, I, been there. Been I awesome. assume you were going to be at that one. So <laughs> how do you feel about the Badgers right now, man? So <sighs> – you know, all these little like half measures to like appease people or whatever. I just don't, I mean, I get that they want to do something and feel like they're doing something, but it's like, really, is that going to make a difference that you decide not to play Notre Dame and you play Indiana? Like what, what's the difference? It's exactly the same from like a risk of coronavirus standpoint, just because you're only playing big 10 teams. It doesn't mean that you've done anything to mitigate any risk whatsoever. And it's hard to even like sell that as risk mitigation. So I don't understand from that standpoint. I feel like maybe they're trying to kind of toe the line and maybe just throw breadcrumbs out there so that they get enough people saying, yeah, okay, you can play. That makes sense. You've, you've taken the necessary precautions. No jersey swaps. Uh, you're going to have to wear an extra mouth guard. And we're only going to play teams within 600 miles of our campus instead of 650 miles. Like, <laughs> see, there's no way anybody can get coronavirus now. So I, I don't know what sense that makes. I know that like, what are they going to try to cut down on travel budget or something? Like it's not like the non-conference games are usually big, long travels anyway. I mean, I know Wisconsin was going to play Notre Dame, which is about the second closest college that plays football to Madison being in South Bend, Indiana. Not like they were going to playing Hawaii. I can understand if they had Hawaii on the schedule this year. You don't want to make that trip for whatever reason. Hawaii probably doesn't want them coming out there. Because I'm sure they have less coronavirus in Hawaii, but I don't know. It just it does. I can't wrap my head around how that makes sense, other than just hey, let's throw something out there and be in the news for a day since we haven't had anything to talk about. Well, it's been it's been my theory that there's no way you can play football 
if they continue to treat a positive test, a coronavirus test, as a 14 days of isolation, anyone you've been in contact with is not. Right. So, like, you can't, until you treat it as if it's a the flu, I'm, I'm not saying it's the flu, and I'm not saying it's the cold, but until they treat it as such to where if you can manage the symptoms, you continue to play, um, if they can't get to that point, then I just – I don't understand how they play football. I mean, yeah, I really don't. I, I don't know if you go that far because if you're positive, I think you, you'd you have to sit up. And this is just spitballing because they don't want you infecting a bunch of other people, clearly. But the one thing I do agree with you is that you can't make everybody that you've had contact with also sit out unless they have tested positive because on a football team, that's everybody. I don't care if you have people sit six feet apart at meetings. And I heard that uh, Bruce Arians for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was going to have all of his meetings in an auditorium. So he could just talk over the loudspeaker. We didn't have to have anybody sitting next to each other. And then 25 minutes later, there's going to be 78 people tackling each other and rolling around in the grass and a coach one foot from your face, screaming and spitting in your face. And somehow we sat apart in the auditorium. So everything's hunky-dory, right? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Everybody on the football team, when you look at contact tracing, the way they're doing it right now, if somebody gets it, everybody has had contact with that person on a football team. Trainers, equipment managers, uh, front office. Like, that's just what happens in football. There's a lot of contact. There's a lot of close living. Lockers are close. I mean, what are they going to do with the shower situation? They're going to have every other shower? Like, people don't realize that football teams, they shower very closely together with no curtains. There's no dividers. Like, it's prison showers. And That's no what one, Especially and, on the road. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And no one brings more accessories to the shower than Joe Thomas. It's oh, thank unbelievable. You Had my own shower caddy. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I mean, but like, it is, it is serious. Their lockers. What are you going to have every other locker? What are you going to have people dressing like upstairs in like the owner's suites? Like I, I, I can't fathom the number of ways that you would have to change what football looks like in order to even come anywhere near social distancing or contact tracing or isolation and quarantining when people come positive. It's, it's what I get so frustrated with, you know, here we, you know, we, we cover Oklahoma a lot and Oklahoma's done a whole lot and they put a ton of time into all these measures to make sure all the guys are, you know, you, only a certain amount of guys in the locker room. You've got to have a, a, a designated time to go get treatment. Um, they're not supposed to shower there. The the um, locker room, like the the game or the lobby area where they all hang out, players' lounge is is closed down. And I'm like, you're doing goal line drill in two days. Like <laughs> everything that you have done Maybe up until that point, twenty two bodies laying on each other. It's all eliminated. So I I, I mean that's the thing is like, I feel like I feel like that gets lost somewhere that you're not you're still going to have to play football. So. And, and I think I think that's really the theme of this is like there's all these people that want football so desperate to be played, and I'm one of them. And they're trying to come up with any idea that enough people just close their eyes and go, "Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do it. Okay, let's play football." Because works. in works. the end, it's football. You're tackling and you're rolling around and you're sharing spit each and every play. That's it. Unavoidable. I don't care how many face shields and face masks those guys where it's unavoidable. Everybody's going to have contact with everybody. It's not golf. It's not baseball. 
it's football. It's a tackle sport. It's a physical contact sport between everybody. Even the coaches hold bags. Like when, <laughs> when we were there, like the coach is holding the bag and the, the offensive lineman's hitting the bag and there's sweat and there's spit and there's droplets, air droplets from your lungs going everywhere. Like that's football. Like to avoid, to be able to avoid that is impossible. Now, Joe, I do want to ask you some random shit uh, just for fun. So let, let's start here. Now, the Miles Garrett contract, obviously huge. The Derrick Henry contract just happened, huge. But what was your reaction to the Mahomes deal? <laughs> um, my reaction at first was like, dude deserves it. I'm glad he's a half a billionaire right now. I mean, when you think about it, hey, he's pretty much the most valuable player in the history of football because he's at the hardest position. That's the most important. He's super young. He possesses an enormous amount of talent. His like characteristics outside of talent are like flawless. They talk about him being such a great leader, great person in the locker room, great person in the community, great face of the franchise. Oh yeah, and you just won a Super Bowl, uh, and you're super young, and the salaries at your position have been going through the roof as the salary cap has gone up. So, to the, the biggest shock to me was that it was a ten year contract. I guess it makes sense, though, for both sides. Like, how do you turn down half a billion if I'm Patrick Mahomes? And for the team, it's like, hey, to have some price certainty on our most expensive and valuable asset on our team, like, we'll take that because then we can hopefully have that certainty and be able to kind of build around it. So, I mean, to me, it just it makes sense. I mean, I wish I was Patrick Mahomes, obviously. <laughs> but <laughs> if that's what you're looking for, that's an easy one. Well, but, okay, you did play at the, the top level of your position in the NFL for a really long time. So, like, when I first saw the contract, I'm like, 10 years, why in the world would you not leave some time to, to give yourself an out to say, I'm just, you know, I don't like it here anymore. Maybe something, I need to change a pace, or maybe I'm worth a lot more than I'm getting now. But then I started thinking about it, like, there is something to peace of mind. So, like, for you – um, a contract year coming up or negotiations, would it have been worth it to just know that for 10 years, all of that's done and all you have to do is go focus on football. You're getting mm -hmm. paid plenty of money. All I have to do is go be the best I can at playing football, not worry about anything else. Yeah. I think Warren Buffett said that once you have 500 million, there's nothing in the world you can't buy because you can either get enough debt with the cash you have to buy whatever you want, or you can just pay for it with cash. So clearly Patrick Mahomes is not worried about pinching pennies or any of the financial side of it. And so for him, even if let's say you can make the argument that he's giving up some money by doing such a long-term deal and maybe his value is going to go up and who knows what the future holds. But I, I'm sure the argument from his side and from well, I would argue on his behalf is that like to not have to go through the stress of going into a contract year and going through negotiation is worth a lot, especially when you're filthy rich like Patrick Mahomes and you've already won a Super Bowl. Like, you just want to focus on your team, your teammates, your craft, and be the best at that, and then not have to worry at all about contracts. I only – I was lucky because I only had to go through that one time. After my rookie deal, after my fourth year, I, I had one year left, but I signed uh, an extension that ended up taking me through my last year in the NFL. But even still, just going through that one time, it was very stressful. Like every day you're hearing from your agent, hey, we've negotiated. This is their offer. This is what we're going to counter with. And you spend so much of your brain space stressing and worrying about 
that contract that to be able to not have that, especially as a quarterback who might play 20 years, like if you did three, four year deals, you're going to be doing that a lot. And at some point you got to say like, I just want to be done with that. I want to think about football. I got plenty of money. I know my agent has taken care of me. They've taken a lot of the risk off the table. Yeah. I might not make every cent I could if I did shorter contracts, but it's worth it to me to not have to worry about my contract every three or four years. Plus at quarterback, you know, and also if you're the best quarterback in the NFL in five years, if he wants more money, he can say, well, I'm not playing until you give me a new contract. Exactly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not like they can go out there without him and have a right. level of success that rec- that's, right. that's recognizable to what it would look like if he was out there. That's right. Now, now this is, this is a cheesy. Although question. he wouldn't have much of a leg to stand on making 50 million a year going, oh, I want more money. I don't think the give, Chiefs fans would love him quite as much at that point. Give me more money. I want more money. Now, this is a cheesy question, but what what is it like? I've always wondered this. What's it like just living life knowing that you're going to go into the, the Hall of Fame? <laughs> I know it's a weird question, but, uh, I, I mean, I we knew you were going to the Hall of Fame when we were teammates, but you were still the hardest working guy, the most focused guy, like all those things. Like, do you ever just take a moment and you're like, yeah, that gold jacket's going to be sweet. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> There has been those moments. Um, I, I will say that sometimes people come up and talk to me, uh, especially people like in my family, my close circle, as if I'm already in the Hall of Fame. Like a little bit like you just said, but almost Which like you kinda when are, you like go to the Hall of Fame, but they'll even preface it like when you go into the Hall of Fame in this year, which would be like the first year. I, I can't remember if it's 2022 or 2023, but like the first year you're eligible, which is like the ultimate prestige in pro football is like first ballot hall of famer. And they come and talk to me like it already has happened. And, and for like split second in my brain, I like accept that line of thinking until I like, I pump the brakes. I'm like, hang on a second. We don't know any of that. Like I feel comfortable about my chances. I'm not stressing it at all, but like, let's just wait a second and just talk. We can talk about it. We got plenty of time. If it happens, we got plenty of time to worry about it when it happens and figure out, who gets invited to the after party, who's going to be there at the speech. If it's Gabe or if it's Teddy that are going to be introducing me, like we got plenty of time. We don't have to talk about it like it already happened right now. But that is part of the problem. You know, my wife and I went and went to Mexico and got married on our own. It was just the two of us. And the main reason is because she has a huge group of friends that are all really tight and she didn't want the stress of having to pick the bridesmaid. So, yeah. I mean, the stress yeah. is going to be on you. Have you Perfect. at least narrowed down the list? So you're saying that I should go to Mexico for my induction <laughs> and only invite my wife. I love that idea. I'm going to bring that up. It's kind of uh, like what you did with the draft where you yeah, went fishing. Much. I'm going to be fishing during my Hall of Fame induction. There, you, you just did it to me. I just accepted that as reality. Um, no, I, 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 I think that uh, talking to some friends that have been inducted, and they talk about how amazing, but how much of a whirlwind and how fast it goes. So if, when I get lucky enough to get in, I definitely want to make sure that no matter what happens, I have a chance to kind of pump the brakes, slow down, soak it in, enjoy it, because it is one of the rarest feats in pro sports is being able to be inducted into the Pro Football of Fame. And you don't want the craziness and the busyness of who gets invited here and who does this and that to overshadow 
like the specialness of the moment. Now, just one last one for me, and it's just because I was texting with you when it was going on. The whole Titan Games thing. <laughs> how the hell did you get talked into doing that? And then is The Rock as cool as he seems like he is? Because he seems like he's the coolest guy on planet Earth. I'll answer the second question first. Yes, The Rock is the coolest man on Earth. He is easily the biggest action hero movie star on the planet currently. And he would go up and talk to the competitors, myself included, other people that were not pro athletes, like they'd been buddies forever. And to see somebody on his level just walk out of his trailer and just shoot the breeze with all these people, I was like, damn, you are fucking cool. <laughs> like, not only do you look amazing and you look cool and you're like 50, but you actually are really cool, dude. Uh, so he is the best. Um, his arms are absolutely massive. Uh, totally jealous there. I feel like I work out really hard, uh, but I got a long like, way to go. Do you, what like arms I got to? Pounds of fish a day or something crazy like that? Uh, what was that diet? Certainly he's got a good diet. I don't know what it is specifically, but maybe I should look into it. I don't because, know if it's worth it. Like I, I remember, kind of, and this as football players, right? We always do this. We kind of like size somebody up. You know, we, we see another big like guy or like, especially we do this in high school all the time, right? You're going to go play your cross town rival or whatever. You kind of like eye him up like that. Yeah. Man, you know, you're like, you know, like I think I can theater. kick his ass. Like I, like, I, I can, can kick, kick his, his ass. ass. Right. Like as soon as I, I met rock, the rock for the first time, I like kind of sized him up a little bit. I'm like, you're a little shorter than I thought. Like I, I'm definitely looking down at <laughs> him. And then I look down to his arms and I'm like, good God, those are the size of my thighs. <laughs> Never mind. I take back everything I was thinking right there. Yeah. Hello, Mr. Mr. Dwayne Johnson. Nice to meet you. <laughs> but how did I get in the tight games? Oh, the first part of the question. Uh, totally got roped into it. That was, that was crazy. I, I immediately regretted it as I was crawling through this HVAC vent that they called the cage crawl. And I'm looking at these like five foot two guys I'm going against that are like former military special operations. They're used to doing this crazy, stupid shit. And then here's my big ass who retired because of a bad knee. And I'm like trying to get up and down Mount Olympus. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I got to meet The Rock. A moment I'll never forget. I uh, got to be on TV and my kids actually were like, hey, daddy, you actually did something cool for once. I'm like, well, but I played in the NFL. They're like, that wasn't cool. This is cool. You got to meet Moana's, uh, uh, the dude from Moana, uh, Maui. And, uh, but when it was all said and done, I was really happy and I was really sore. And I was glad to go home. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? What else you been working on? You, you got anything in the works? I know you got the um... – the possible uh, major league baseball ownership deal going plus some NFL network stuff, but anything else on the side that you're well, spending a lot of time on? When's you know, Tomahawk it, coming back? Yeah. It's just such a bizarre time. I'm sure you guys are dealing with it as well. Like I'm used to having the summer kind of off a little bit and you kind of gear up for that football season. So the great part about working in NFL media for the NFL network and doing my Tomahawk podcast is you have that same sort of yearly schedule that you did in football. It's like, the fall's really busy. The spring is busy, but not as bad. And then the summers are kind of like off. And so now that my kids are school age, I got four kids, like I get to spend tons of time with them in the summer. It's a great time to kind of reconnect, especially in light of the football season usually coming up. But now with the uncertainty of 
what football is going to look like in the fall. Like the plan, if everything goes great is I'll be working for NFL network. I'll be working uh, the Tomahawk podcast. We'll be back. Me and Andrew Hawkins. Um, I'll be potentially doing some TV with, I know I've been talking with a couple of networks after the Titan games about doing some more, either like fitness or challenge type TV shows. Tell us, um, tell us what you're going to do. Tell us I who mean, you're but, talking to. But here, that's, tell the us. Crazy, that's the crazy thing is like, they're like, we'd love to do all this stuff, but we just don't know what it's going to look like. Like we, we're going to do it over zoom. Like you can only do so many zoom TV shows before people are like this sucks. And so I don't know what it's going to look like. Well, it, at least you have options, but uh, and, and I'm not worried scenario, about you. It's eternal summer. I just yeah. pull summer right into the fall. and just keep hanging out with the kids. He's Joe Thomas. Uh, go follow him on Twitter at Joe Thomas 73. You can find him pretty much anywhere. Joe, really appreciate the time, big guy. Much love, guys. Thanks for having me on. That was, that was a good time. I needed that. Although I'm not sure if we had a lot of optimistic views out there to really sink your teeth into. It still felt good catching up with you boys. Always, buddy. Thanks to Joe Thomas for joining us. What a guy. I mean, what, what, what else can you say? What a guy. Uh, my guess is right now he's three-quarters of a way through that 30-pack of Bush Light. And that was a big shock to me, by the way, the Bush Light. And maybe if you're lucky, Gabe, at some point I will read you the poem I wrote in high school called A 30-Pack of Bush. What? <laughs> Wait a second. Okay. Say, save that Save that for like a podcast like next June when we need it. <laughs> out you know? of nowhere. Yes, absolutely. Uh, all right, Ted. Let's move on to our segments. And since it's Thursday, you know we got to wet the beak just a little bit. Okay. Just a little bit. And we're going to wet the beak with one really fun NBA bubble line. Now, the Sacramento Kings center, Rashawn Holmes, crossed the Disney campus line to pick up delivery food. So he had to quarantine for 10 days. His mom tweeted at him even and said he should only do that for her cooking, which was absolutely hilarious and one of the best tweets I've seen in a long time. We saw the Rockets' Bruno Caboclo. hope I'm saying that. There's no way that's right, but I'm sticking to Caboclo. Let's stick with it. I like it. He accidentally broke quarantine. Now, I don't know how leaving your room when you're told not to leave your room is an accident but whatever you know what shit happens i suppose now he had to do a 10-day quarantine as well which brings us to a line from sportsbetting.ag ted will any nba player be removed from the bubble due to violations not to coronavirus due to violations the line for yes is at plus 170 and no you got odds minus 250. So I'm not sure what a guy would have to do to get kicked out completely, but where are you leaning? Yes, plus 170, no minus 250. I mean, it's it's a yes without a doubt. Now, whenever they say get kicked out, that means like I think he's like, done. He's yeah, gone. like you are I, I imagine it's like at a college party, you are asked to leave, sir. <laughs> or like uh, a bar. You're out of here, buddy. I would still bet yes. I mean, I'm with you. I think it's definitely going to happen. Like 
three days and they can't even follow the rules right now. Wait until they start playing each other and elbowing each other out there on the in the um, you know these competitive games, and then they're going to be in hotel rooms right across from each other. I mean, it's a screaming yes for me, a hundred percent. Wait till that snitch line starts really ringing. You know, Shams. Oh, yeah. They're going to have Shams a call already of said that like every night. Yeah, Shams already said that. You know, some people are utilizing that thing. There's going to be guys doing all kinds of dumb stuff. Man, I, well, okay. What are your thoughts on the snitch line? Because listen, when you're a professional athlete, there is, for lack of a better term, there is a code, right? You're you're not supposed to, you know, tell people what other guys are doing. Like there's a there's a code, but if if another guy is doing something so stupid to where it's endangering your safety and your paycheck, dude, I, I don't know if I'm going to judge that many guys if they're snitching on guys. I, I really – if there's a time to snitch, this is it, right? This is the situation. Okay, there's a couple of things with this. Um, I'm trying to put myself in those shoes. So I'm trying to imagine the NFL playing in a bubble where all the players are there together, which talk about a nightmare, but um, I'm trying to imagine that scenario. And my initial instinct would be to call the snitch line every hour of the day and try and snitch something on Philip Rivers. I don't care what it is. Uh, I'd make <laughs> Why do stuff you up. hate Philip Rivers so much? I, I'd, I'd make stuff up. I, I would just try and get him kicked out. It would be my, my life's goal. But the other part is, like, okay, let's say whoever. Let's say it's LeBron James. LeBron James, okay, someone calls the snitch line and says that LeBron James – is sneak I just saw him sneak people into his room that are not supposed to be there and the NBA goes in and opens up the door and LeBron's got people that aren't supposed to be in his room in his room well that's going to be like the biggest national news ever okay and correct if you don't think I mean I know people in government have whistleblower protection but I don't know that there's whistleblower protection in the NBA and those people are going to find out who it was that called the snitch line on LeBron, and I don't want to be that person that gets outed as being a snitch. Oh, so that my. would probably and you, me from from ever doing it. And you know, like whether it's Brian Windhorse or Woj once he's off his fu suspension, <laughs> or Shams, like one of these guys is going to find out who it was. And I I think it's supposed to be anonymous, but. What is really right. anonymous in 2020? We got to be realistic. Yeah. But sources say Layman called in the snitch on <laughs> Philip Rivers. You know, I mean, that's that's what, so that's my whole thing. Is like there would be part of me like if I honestly felt something was happening that was really bad, which I pretty much go along with anything, so I doubt I would do it. But if I felt like it was something that I had to call in, I would be totally fearful that it would get back that I was the person and it would be out there and be national news. Yeah. And all these guys are, you know, they're being asked about the snitch line in interviews. And a lot of guys are like, Oh, it's not cool. Hey, if it saves the NBA bubble from popping, Hey, I might be all for it. I, that's, that's usually not my style, but I really just don't want this thing to, 
fall apart, Ted, because some guys can't follow simple instructions. Well, guys can't follow simple instructions. And that's the one, uh, honestly, the real beauty, I think, of the NBA bubble is, you know, a lot of times we forget how stupid most people are, okay? (laughs) And here's the thing. You've got a guy, uh, the King Center, Rashawn Holmes, uh, across the line to pick up delivery food, right? As if, like, it was some, in passing, someone said, oh, and by the way, you can't go outside of this line to pick up food, uh, in case anyone was wondering. No, they've been briefed on this over and over and over, that if you cross this line, if you cross this line, you have to leave for 10 days, and most likely, the your team's not going to pay for whatever you miss, right? So, you know, Gabe, the itinerary, every moment of your life is accounted for whenever you're traveling. And this it's is literally like on a, a schedule. It's on a schedule. It's posted in your room. It's sent to your phone. It's on your computer. It's nonstop. There's no way this guy didn't know that. Uh, well, I'm an NBA guy. No, I can do whatever I want. Dude, he couldn't, he, he couldn't come in, so I had to go meet him outside. Like, I couldn't get my – it's like, dude, you have all the food in the world in this bubble – and I, I know that maybe it's not the best, but now you got to stay in your room for 10 days. It's just, it's so idiotic. And here's the other thing that, that frustrates the, the heck out of me. Okay, so he's eating, he gets the to-go food or whatever. Like, doesn't he understand what the concept of the bubble is? It's to try and keep the coronavirus out so they can uh, finish the, the season. He doesn't once think that the Uber Eats guy's hacking all over his to-go food and then hands it to him that he's not going to go pass it on to his entire team. I mean, it's unbelievable. But it's... never underestimate stupidity, Gabe, and it's going to be on full display for the next however many weeks in the NBA. Can't wait. I can't. I, I didn't know that I needed these types of stories, but I, I can't wait. Uh, I honestly can't. All right, Ted, let's move on to our winners and losers of the week. And those are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatment for men and women. They're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection, which we are, we're about that fat burn in life, Ted. So who do you have as your winner of the week? My winner, and speaking of uh, fat burner injection, I mean, I know he's a huge listener to the podcast, listens to every episode. Ed Ogeron down there at LSU, I know he called in to get that free fat burner injection because the dude, and I know um, he had the divorce. You know, I feel bad. I'm sorry the whole situation didn't work out. He's back on the market. He's He knows he's what he's doing. He's on the market, and he is on a mission, baby. He's out working out, no shirt on. He's going on the jogs. They got a helicopter, I guess, or a drone following Ed Ogeron around campus while he's on on jogs. I mean, I'm watching breaking footage of Ed Ogeron like he's the white Bronco uh, driving across the Speaking of which, you seen the new Bronco that Ford rolled out? Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) 
But I'm telling you, Eddie O, he's on it right now, man. He's, he's hitting a heavy bag. He's boxing a little bit. He's spending a little bit too much time tanning. It looks like I'm not sure what that cover is. Take care of your skin, Coach O. We don't, we don't, hey, we don't, we don't need Coach O getting skin cancer, right? We don't need that. But I'll tell you, whenever you're back out on the market, okay, like he is, and you're getting free pub where they're following you around and you're jogging around with the shirt off, there's nothing better than that. He's not going to be on the market for too long. I'll, I'll just say this. If my wife ever divorces, divorces me, just kill me because I am, I am not willing to put in the work to find a new mate. It's just I, I don't have an in me, Ted. Just, just put me out of my misery, man. It's over. All right, for my loser, you know, back to the NBA and the bubble. My loser is Jimmy Butler, okay? Jimmy Butler is, I guess, dribbling a basketball doing basketball workout drills in his, in his room, his hotel room at 3.30 in the morning, and they had to call the security on him to see what was going on, and he's in there dribbling a basketball? What the hell's wrong with this guy? He, okay, I've got questions. Okay, go Does ahead. he have – did he have someone underneath him? Like, yeah, was he on the first floor? Room. He's in a hotel room. He's got people on the sides of him. He's got people below him. He's got people Ooh, that's him. That's unacceptable. 3.30 in the morning, Gabe, they had to call security because there was this loud thumping going on in the room next to him. <laughs> okay, you have to be the most inconsiderate person in the world to be doing basketball drills at 3.30 in the morning. Now, I, I get it because these guys are like, oh, I wake up the earliest, so I'm, I'm getting my work in. Like, yeah, but 3.30 is just overdoing it. That's just – you're just being an asshole at that point, right? Okay, and if you're getting your workout at 3.30, go to the gym. Go to the gym. Go to the, they've got like 70 basketball courts there on the facility. Go dribble the basketball there. I got to tell you, I don't care if he's Jimmy Butler or not. If he's dribbling a basketball at 3.30 in the morning in the room next to me, I'm going to drag and Bruce Lee kick that door between us open, see what the hell's going on. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen, right? He's, he was either drunk or on meth. 3.30 in the morning, dribbling a basketball? <laughs> Those what are the only two options, drunk and meth. I like drunk it. Drunk and meth. That's I funny. like it. Hey, hey, but, yeah, I, I don't think – and I, I am a guy that I like it real quiet when I'm trying to go to sleep. And if I heard somebody dribbling a basketball at 3.30 in the morning, it goes back to the snitch line. I'm calling the front desk. I'm saying, hey, listen – we got a guy next to me. You guys got to. You guys got to make him stop. You got to make him stop. It's, I'm calling the snitch line, and I'm like, "Listen, it's not anonymous. You tell him I'm calling, and if he doesn't stop, I'm going to his room." Yeah, <laughs> I like it. All right, Ted, my winner of the week, Dennis Schroeder, and it's not just because I'm excited for the Thunder and they're back in the bubble, and practice seems to be going very well for Billy Donovan and the squad, but. He said that he is going to leave the NBA bubble in three to four weeks for the birth of his second child. And that is so refreshing for me because, and I don't have kids, but I always am so confused when professional athletes say that they're going to play instead of go see 
the birth of their kid. I, I, I don't understand how that's even an option to some people. And may, maybe I just don't get it. Maybe I, I can't put myself in, the, in those shoes. Maybe I just don't understand where some of those people are coming from. But it, it's family over everything, man. And I, I know it's not ideal for the Thunder. Do I like it as a Thunder fan? Is it something where I'm like, yeah, I'm so happy that Schroeder's leaving. I'm not ecstatic over it. Like, don't get me wrong, but I, I am proud that he's doing that. I, I just, it's the only choice in my mind. And Ted, I cannot wait to roast anyone that criticizes him publicly when he ends up actually leaving because you know there's going to be a couple people and I'm going to find them and I am going to roast them and make sure that every other Thunder fan can see the stupid things they're saying and that way they can pile on it with me. I can't wait. I'm I'm so excited for it. I've got two things here. Number one, Okay, you said the birth of his second child. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he already miss some time this season for the birth of his first child? Are we talking Irish twins here? I'm saying, I I honestly think he did, right? I don't remember. It's been so long since basketball was was played. This season is so long that a guy is going to miss time in the same season for a, uh, two children uh, born like almost, what, 10 months apart or 11 months apart or something like that. So Efficient. Uh, My man's efficient. <laughs> right. Um, the second thing. So my son was born whenever I was – whenever I was, I was done playing sports. So I didn't have to make this decision. But I can imagine that I would have been one of those stupid guys – that would have said, I'm not going to miss the game. I'll be here as long as I you can. Are you are such a meathead. And I will get back to you as fast as I can after the game, but I, I, I'm not going to miss the game. Now, I would have said that at the time. Having been at my son's birth and witnessing it, I would not, knowing what I know now, I would not miss that for the world. There's no way you could convince me to not go to that. It doesn't matter what was going on. Um, But it does remind me of a funny story. When I was in high school, my sister got married in the fall. And it was a destination wedding at Sanibel in Florida, Sanibel Island. So I was supposed to go to school during the week, board a flight on like a thursday i believe after school and fly down to meet my family at my sister's wedding what could go wrong your boy didn't get on the plane because he wanted to play in that football game on set on friday night oh my gosh <laughs> just an absolute savage and psycho <laughs> i played a great game it was you know it was one of those things was this quick quick, quick follow-up um was this before or after you had gotten your scholarship offer to Oklahoma? Before. I was a oh, sophomore okay. in high okay. school, man. I was a sophomore, and 
Just trying to get that scholarship, baby. That's that's all I was trying to do. Um, In hindsight, it's funny, but at the same time, it's like. Did your sister ever go, what the hell, bro? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, of course she did. All right. Uh, That's insane. My, My loser of the week, politicians. And no, this is not about the coronavirus stuff, but politicians have to be freaking out about what just happened in Alabama. Tommy Tuberville is probably going to be a U.S. senator. He whoops, and I do mean whoops, Jeff Sessions, a guy that was attorney general of the United States in the Republican primary in Alabama. And, and Teddy, it's not like Tommy Tuberville is some sort of legendary Coach, I looked up his record, 159-99. and Really, you know, solid, but he had the one great year in 04 at Auburn. But he wasn't even persuasive enough to get his team in the national championship that year, and they were undefeated. You tell me this isn't a Tom Osborne in Nebraska running for political office. No, no, no. He's a (laughs) decent college football coach. But politicians on both sides. They've got to be freaking out. They have to be scared to death that other football coaches that are bored at home, maybe they're not doing anything, they see what just happened for Tommy Tuberville, and they look and they go, you know what? I could probably do that. Politicians, loser, losers of the week, because the coaches are going to take all their jobs. It's just going to happen. I'll tell you, one of the, um, one of the interesting things about – social media and access you know for the longest time the politician was someone that was voted in and they're off in washington and you know out of sight and out of mind social media has changed that as a politician now you are front and center all of the time and it reminds a lot of people that they don't like politicians and they'd rather put someone in your office that's not a politician and never has been a politician because they feel like you're part of the problem because you've also, been there for so long. Also, they may want to put someone that they're used to being at the center of attention and that has thrived in that position, like, say, a head football coach. Mm-hmm. So I, I just thought it was really, really interesting because the results were rolling in. I was like, oh, my gosh. Tommy Tuberville is going to be United States Senator, isn't he? Well, hey, I'll go back to the interview we did with Cole Kublik. And he was talking about Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. And I'll do a lame attempt at his impression. It's all about relationships, Cole. That's all it is. You just got to know how to talk to these guys. I mean, got to know the same, how to talk to them. <laughs> it's the same thing as, as being a politician, right? It's about relationships, building That's relationships. Good point. So, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of the same thing. You're in living rooms, you're shaking hands, you're shaking what? hands with donors. And Hold on. Was Tommy Tuberville the head coach of Tech when they came and beat us in 2011? I think he was. Maybe. Don't vote for Tommy Tuberville. So it's funny. Whenever I first saw the headline that Trump it said Trump misidentifies Alabama's head coach, and I was like – Tell me, he did not say that Tommy Tuberville is the, did an awesome job. Oh, that would have been an epic mix-up. <laughs> but uh, it was Long Alabama somehow, school. Yeah, somehow even worse than that, I guess. Yeah. 
All right, Ted, let's finish up with everyone's favorite segment, Keeping It Local, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And the story for this episode is a unique opportunity for Oklahomans. And and basically, I picked this just because I wanted to see if you would do it or not, Teddy. That's that's just the truth. So the Lynn Health Science Institute in Oklahoma City has been selected as one of the institutions – for phase three of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine study. Now they're looking for 230 to 330 Oklahomans to volunteer. Pretty simple guidelines. (laughs) You have to be 18 or older. You have to be in good health. Not entirely sure what in good health means. And you have to never have had COVID-19. So the study begins July 28th. They better start it now the way our uh, cases are going. (laughs) I think they need to start ASAP, but uh, I believe it's over. I think I read it's over like two years. I'm not entirely sure how that whole thing works, but now each participant, I think if you complete it, you get like two grand, which, Hey, sign me up. But Teddy, it's simple. It's a simple question for you. Are you volunteering or not? You have been all about the vaccine are, are they sticking the needle in your arm or no? Uh, I'm going to wait for round two or three of the vaccine. It's like the uh, iPhone. Before, I, um, before I, I go ahead and get that. It's, um, yeah, exactly like the iPhone. The, trust me, if they're given two racks for uh, all you got to do is go take a, a shot and fill out a questionnaire every week or something like that, then uh, there's going to be people wrapped around the block to do this thing. But um, I'm not going to be on that list, which, you know, I did see today that um, Moderna's one that's pretty far along, but there's another one from Oxford in Great Britain that's even further Oxford. along. Right. And they're, they're really far along and they got a jump start because they tried to do the original SARS virus and there's a lot of similarities. So they already got going. So um, they're like a month ahead. So they, they're about to enter their final stage of testing. And, um, I, I was so whenever I was reading the article, it was funny because everyone's like, "Man, that first you don't want to be part of the first study. There's no telling what could go wrong with the the vaccine." So the other one is a uh, it's like a an ape or a chimpanzee uh, strain of the virus. So that's what they've taken and attached. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want that inside of you? Yeah. So that's what they've, they've attached the COVID-19, uh, you know, spike protein to, and that's how they put it in you. And I'm like, it's, we're going to have planet of the apes for real, aren't we? That's, that (laughs) is what this is honestly going to turn on into. We're living a live planet of the apes movie. Well, I hope that doesn't happen, but uh, to the 230 to 330 Oklahomans that do volunteer for that, your service is appreciated, hopefully. And, and I will say this about the vaccine stuff. The more positive news about the vaccines, the better it is for college football. And we, we've talked about it, that people, the, the optics of everything, if a vaccine is available, I think all of a sudden people become a lot more comfortable with college football being played so we all got to do our part you gotta you know you gotta do what you gotta do the the distancing the masks all this stuff but also be rooting for these vaccines i'm cheering 
for these vaccines. I'm cheering for these scientists like they're damn sports teams. I mean, this is like OU playing Texas in the Cotton Bowl. I, I, it's like I am screaming for them. Now, we talked about one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, the program, and one of the famous lines on there is, when's the last time 80,000 people watched a science, science experiment or whatever the line was? And it's like, right now, right now, right everyone now. in the world will watch one of those. But here's the other thing. Are you going to invoice Mo, uh, Moderna for this commercial you gave them for the people I, they're looking for? You know, sure. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll send it their way. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Hey. The worst they could say is no, right? Right. All right, Ted. Episode 25 in the books. Man, it's what a quarter of a century. I mean, not yeah. a quarter of a century, but a quarter to a hundred. So I hope we don't get to episode 100 and we're still talking about the upcoming season. Oh my gosh. Don't say that, man. Come on. All right. We'll have a new podcast. It'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder. You can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more